I'm John Crane. And I'm Bernie Crane. You're listening to the Jazz Session. With our dad, Jason Crane. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 442 for Friday, August 29th, 2014. On today's show, guitarist Bob Snyder. I'd like to send today's show out to Patrick McCurry, who browbeat me into finally making it. If, you know, you consider one tweet browbeating. And I'd like to dedicate the show to bassist Bob Stata, who was a mainstay of the Rochester jazz scene for years and years uh, and passed away much too soon. Uh, I was very lucky to get a chance to know him and to hear him play many times, and you'll hear him referred to in today's show. You can become a member of the Jazz Session, like Chandra Crouch recently did. $5 a month gets you MP3s and other exclusive content. And it goes toward helping keep the show online to pay for the server costs and all that kind of thing. And also, it goes toward helping record more interviews. You can rate the show in iTunes. You can also leave comments at thejazzsession.com. And I hope that you'll do that. It's always great to hear from you. And with no further ado, let's dig into the Brockton Beat.
guest is the guitarist Bob Snyder. I think this might be the longest overdue interview in jazz session history. I think I've I've known you for like 13 years now. The show's been on for seven years, and you're finally appearing. So I apologize, and I'm super excited that you're here. So thanks for being on the show. Well, I'm I'm excited you're here. I'm excited you're here in Rochester. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be out. back. The stars aligned. That's right. Um, speaking of Rochester, uh, we were just talking about this before we started recording that, that we we're just kind of at the uh, a week or two after. Rochester's huge jazz event every summer in which you are a, a, certainly a core part. Can you talk a little bit about what your last few weeks has been like? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, it started back in mid-June with a, a short uh, tour of D.C., Boston, New York City with, with Curtis Steigers. And then as soon as I got home, I had to rehearse one of my Eastman groups that was playing on the Jazz Fest. And then the next day, the Jazz Festival started. And uh, so my group leads the late-night jam session. It uh, goes from 10.30 p.m. till about 2.30 a.m. for nine straight nights. <laughs> and then I'm also doing education, hosting educational workshops with some of the visiting artists uh, for five out of the nine days. And one of the highlights, well, there are two, two huge highlights for me. One was getting to do a, a two-guitar show with, uh, with my rhythm section, um, Dan Vitale and Mike Melito. We, did, uh, <clears throat> we, we had the, the great Peter Bernstein playing with us, so that was absolute heaven for me. Everybody says when they see me play with Peter, it's impossible to wipe the grin off of my face because I every every time he plays something, I'm I'm smiling ear to ear. That's great. Yeah, and and then the other big highlight was uh, my brother was here for the fest. He was uh, the featured guest with the Eastman Jazz Ensemble. That's your brother John. Snyder. John, yeah, yeah, John Snyder. So uh, yeah, trumpet player. So he was featured with the Jazz Ensemble, and then I also did a did a tune with them as well. It was really really neat, a lot of fun. That's great. Uh, I feel like I know a fair amount about your history, but actually one thing I don't know at all um, is how you ended up here in Rochester. We're recording this at the Eastman School where you work, but is this how you came to Rochester also for Eastman? Or Here's the, the, one of the craziest stories. You put your seatbelt on. <laughs> <laughs> My parents were afraid to let me go to a conservatory, and I was a very, not politically conservative, but conservative kid thinking like, oh, I'll do something safe, like get like a corporate job or be a lawyer and I'll play music on my terms. Um, and that, that, that led me to go to a school that had access to a great music department, namely the University of Rochester. So I was a political science major at the University of Rochester. Um, but being 420 miles away from home, my parents didn't know that I was at the Eastman School of Music seven days a week, <laughs> <laughs> taking courses in arranging, composition, improvisation, jazz ensemble, studio orchestra, playing film scoring sessions for anybody that needed a guitar player, playing on people's recitals from classical flute recitals to whatever, jazz recitals for master's students. So I I spent most of my time here while, by some major or minor miracle, having a, a pretty good GPA in my major. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's really fascinating. So yeah. your, were your 
folks worried because they thought if you went to a conservatory, you wouldn't be able to actually get a job out in the world afterward? Was that their thinking? Pretty much, yeah. That was that was it. They were, I think, it, it, you know, they were they were hopeful that I would do something that was a little more mainstream. You know, it's and instead of saying, you know, my son is a jazz musician, you know. It's, my my son is a consultant with this this firm, <laughs> right. or my son my son is an attorney with this firm. Right. So they, there was uh, there was a period of time where I really thought that you know I loved constitutional law so much I was really thinking about going to law school, and I was I was actually embroiled in taking one of those review courses for the LSAT, um, and then I got a call to audition for Chuck Mangione's band, so. I took the audition, and I didn't think I had a shot of getting it because I I knew other people in New York had already gotten callbacks. Um, so Chuck was putting a new band together after taking a hiatus of about four or five years, and, and this, I, this was about what year that we're talking about? It was like late '93. Okay, yeah. So I figured my shot of getting getting a sniff of it was like forget it, don't even bother. And then uh, I I was actually in, in Rochester a little bit longer than I had planned to because I missed part of my senior year having had a, a back operation. That was not fun. I don't recommend that. Um, we'll not try that again. Important safety tip. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. It's all behind me now. Um, but it's, you know, because of that, I was in Rochester and not off in the you know, the next step of my um, higher education plan to keep me away from music. And so I was, I was, I was here in Rochester and he had come home. Um, he has family in the Rochester area. And then uh, I didn't realize that I was auditioning the same day a drummer had flown in from Nashville to audition for the band. Um, and I was, I was very relaxed about it. Um, and so I, when I when I took the audition, I figured, okay, he's going to want to play all of his classic tunes, "Land of Make Believe," "Children of Sanchez," and that that didn't that didn't happen. He wanted to play he wanted to play some bebop, and uh, I'd say the one I don't know, maybe it was the one ace in the hole was I called an old Harry Warren standard off of one of his early Riverside records. Oh, wow. Called I Had the Craziest Dream. And I, I called that, and I could see he just kind of looked up. And I was like, like okay, maybe, maybe for mo- you know, that moment I have, like, you know, captured, uh, you know, that, that, that Riverside, uh, you know, Chuck Gap, uh, you know, Jazz Brothers period from, from Riverside, and that would get him, like, thinking, like, okay, this guy's different. Um, so that, that was, that was really cool. And, um, so we wound up, uh, playing in his basement for an hour and I was fully expecting to just like go on my merry way and go on to the next chapter of my life. And, uh, and he said, excuse me, I got to take a call. It's George Steinbrenner. (laughs) So at that point it's like, okay, don't tell him you're a Red Sox fan. (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. That's right. That can wait. Yeah, let's just wait. Let's wait and see what happens. And then, uh, so he gets off the phone, 
And he comes over and he puts his arm around me. He says, I want you to be my next guitar player. And uh, he said, it's one condition. You, you also have to be able to be proficient on classical guitar. And then I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and then I didn't even go, I did not even go straight home. I went right to a guitar shop and I bought a <laughs> classical guitar. And I started shedding, you know, learning, learning the tunes, yeah. And then uh, actually took some, took some classical lessons with a grad student who's here at Eastman, Anton Mackleder, um, took about seven or eight lessons with him, and he was phenomenal. Set me on a course of success and <laughs> right-hand fingernail growth and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so it was cool. It all, it all worked out uh, really well. So I, I did, did that gig for about four years. And just to interrupt in that story, how did you even get the call from Chuck? How did he know you were out there to be called? I got called um, because his brother Gap heard me play, and then he had called Mike Melito to find out what my name was. And then another source that had put my name forward as a possible guitar guy for the band was uh, the great bassist Frank Polera, who's still here in Rochester. And um, Frank was coming out to hear me play regularly. I had an an amazing trio and quartet, sometimes a quintet that played at this place called the Rochester Club Restaurant. And um, it was Bob Stata on bass, uh, Mike Melito on drums, um, terrific vocalist Carolyn Lenhart, um, and amazing trumpet talent, Mike DiMartino. Mm. Mike DiMartino was a, a huge influence on me all throughout my, my college years and beyond. Um, so when, I, I think when Gap first heard me play, I was playing with that group. And then when Frank Polera heard me play, I was playing with that group. And then I think what happened was they, they called Chuck and said, hey, before you make your decision you should hear this guitar player in Rochester um and that's 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 when I I I got the call shortly thereafter and I had no idea that any of that back channeling was going on you know in my behalf so essentially for you it just came out of the blue came completely out of the blue when I got the phone call to come and audition and 
just before then I had gone on um, like a, a five-day vacation with my folks down to the Bahamas, like a little, you survived college, you did okay, we want to reward you, do some snorkeling, forget about everything. So I, when I when I got back, that's when I, I listened to my answering machine and the, the call was on there. <laughs> And it was for the next day, and I hadn't played in five days. Oh wow! Yeah, it's. I think that's the long, maybe the longest period of time in my life I've gone without playing. We go to the Adirondacks. I bring a guitar with me. We go pretty much anywhere's. I bring a guitar with me. I'll like. I'll lose my mind if I go more than you know, like. 36, 48 hours without playing. And why is that? Talk about what that, what playing the guitar either does or what not playing it does. I don't, you know, for me, it's just kind of like that fear. If I, if I stop that somehow the chops will atrophy a little bit. And I've I've always kind of felt like the more, the more that I keep myself um, active and busy, whether it's learning a new tune, um, practicing some different harmonic concepts or linear concepts it's it just always keeps that the creative process churning Mm. um and i'd say one of the greatest gifts now teaching is that i'm playing with my students and whether they know it or not they're helping me and that's that's really cool because even really um younger students that are not even necessarily ready to play jazz yet, but when I'm, when I'm working on some rudimentary types of things, that's helping me stay in touch with some of the core essential things about my own technique. And then uh, students that are starting to make that, make that leap of going from a little bit of pop and rock into jazz, it was very similar to the way I did it. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun, and then the, then the super talented college kids they are just they're relentless. They're young. Their chops are they're they're off off the scale. They're they're beyond. So it's it's great to to lock horns with them in a lesson, not in a sure yeah in, in a musical way yeah. yeah sort of have musical conversations and uh, yeah it's really neat. So to kind of continue along your your life trajectory, how long did you spend in Chuck Mangione's band? Uh, it was about four years, and then the day after my last gig with him was the first day I did any summer teaching at Eastman. So it's like there was like this handoff, this magical handoff. Wow. From Tom Brady or <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and then it it's just like, you know, it, it took a while for things to kind of pick up here at Eastman. I did did some teaching at another school, Alfred University. So that was that was a heck of a commute from Rochester once a week, and then uh, I, I started teaching at Eastman literally one hour a week, and then it's, it's grown into a full time gig, which is I'm very grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. And. When you got this gig with Chuck, and you said at the time, I mean, you were doing a review course for the LSAT. Yeah. And so at some point you had to say to your mom and dad, I assume, hey, I'm putting off this law school thing because I'm going yeah. out on the road. 
Yeah. What was that conversation like? Did did having a name attached to some big name attached to it make it easier to? Oh yeah, because they they used to take me to his concerts when I was a kid. But there was still this this, you know, my mom said to me, "I'll I'll do the Boston accent." She's like, "Bobby, I see when you're in Syracuse, you could take the course, not the, the, the you could take the you could take the exam in the morning and still make your sound check." <laughs> it's like, and I just said, "Mom." It's not going to happen. It's not oh, going to happen. That's fabulous. <laughs> yeah. See, I know you. You appreciate this. this the, the Bostonian uh, crackle. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But uh, but then then she got over it because then it's like, you know, she could bring her friends to shows and stuff, and then it was like, then it was then it was okay. Yeah, that's my Bobby up there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, that's yeah. great. So in in building this this teaching life, you have also mm-hmm. positioned yourself in the middle of this scene in Rochester, mm-hmm. where for anybody listening to this, you know, who's, who doesn't know anything about Rochester, amazing people come through here oh, all the yeah. time. Both are based here yep. and come through here, mm-hmm. and you have kind of made yourself the guy who everybody plays with oh. when they come. <laughs> it's which. I don't know. It seems to me like a perfect spot to be in. I mean, you're able to like go home each night, but you're still able to play with the best of the best at the same time. It seems like it's a pretty I, cool setup. I, I would, I, I cherish that. I really do. Cause between the talent that comes through Eastman and is currently at Eastman and the faculty that's here and the, the strong players in the community, 
it I've never felt like I was at a loss for some career highlight that I that I felt like my career wasn't wasn't what it could have been because I don't get in an airplane to travel 1200 miles with a rhythm section that's not as good as what I have here sure things like that so it's it's kind of it's it's tricky but uh um but it just just being able to take a 10 minute drive and get to work or a 10 minute drive and get home from work uh, is is that's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Coming from the Boston area, it's like I know what that can be. And having been in New York City so many times, it's like there's there's a you know you're 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 awarded a little bit more peace every day. Yeah. So it's 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 been amazing, and and so many of the the different players that have come through Eastman when I've been here have just absolutely blown blown me away, and to see them come back to the jazz festival as featured artists not like you know they're they're coming they're coming back uh you know to check out the festival they're here because they're they're good enough to be hired to play here and other major festivals all over the world is is pretty great and i you know it's a good feeling to say it's like i played with i played with him i played with him yeah or you know or, or even some of my friends that were um, at University of Rochester that came down here to Eastman to play. Great bass player, Tim LeFaber. Um Tim went to the U of R? Tim went to U of R. I had no idea. Yeah. I thought it was only the Boston connection. I didn't realize we also had a Rochester connection. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Tim Tim was at U of R. Um, and uh, my brother went to U of R. Sure. I've got a, another buddy who went to uh, U of R, not the... Um, his name is also Pete Levin, right? Not Tony's brother, right? But the <laughs> the uh, the keyboardist yeah. that, that plays with, with everybody from Robert Plant to the Blind Boys of Alabama. He was a, a friend from from my class at U of R. Carolyn Lenhart, um, just so many, yeah, in, incredible players. Um, and then the you know the Eastman folks that have come back to to play the fest here. I'm thinking uh, like Ben Wendell, Shane Ensley. I just saw Dan Loomis was here, and um, so, uh, a bunch of other guys that that have that have come through. Yeah, the Wheat Trio was, sure, was yeah. here for the fest, and it's, which has Jared Schoen again, and yeah, also Jared another Schoen, Eastman guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, just like so many incredible players. Yeah, it's so neat, and it's you know you have you have a sense of being like you know really proud for. You know when when people from from this great place do something amazing, and then you see them having some career success. It's, yeah, it's really cool. And you, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, you're kind of the the leader of the Rochester rhythm section for all the greats who come here, and so you've shared the stage with a lot of amazing names that everyone will know. Not to put you on the spot, but can you think of some some highlights, some memories that stand out for you of people that you've played with over the years oh, here? Oh yeah, let me. Uh, well, one one uh, gentleman that just recently passed away the great pianist frank strazeri yeah straz and you know rochesterian too who's lived out in the west coast for a long time um let's see uh nat adderley roy mccurdy um 
great organist Gene Ludwig. He's also rest his soul. Yeah. Uh, Lou Donaldson, Harry Allen, Warren Vachey, Ken Poplowski, Chris Potter, uh, Grant Stewart, um, uh, great trumpet player John Swanna. Sure. Um, Wycliffe Gordon. Uh, Jerry Nywood, I had come back to Rochester a bunch. He was my old buddy from uh, from Chuck's band. He was on on the band in that time. Um, oh gosh, there's so many. Lou Soloff, um, incredible trumpet player. Alex Norris, yeah. John Bailey, Mike Carn. Um, Peter Bernstein, Vincent Herring, Walt Weisskopf, another great guitar player, Randy Napoleon. Um, Randy plays with Freddie Cole, but I had a chance to play with, with Freddie. Nice. Um, John Faddis, Jay Lenhart, just uh, scores of like crazy good yeah. players. Yeah. Oh, Howard Alden. We do, it seems like a, sort of like an annual thing. We do a two guitar show. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Talk about playing two guitars. It seems like that that's a, that's a lot of fingers, a lot of strings, a lot of, a lot of needing to listen and be sensitive. It strikes me if you're going to play two guitars successfully. Yeah. Well, I'd say one of the things about teaching jazz guitar is I play two guitars with my students all the time. <laughs> every day, right? Yeah. 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 Every day. And, so you you develop a, a sensitivity of of things to try that you can do to change the texture. Sometimes you walk a bass line, maybe you you have a bass line and just one other voice, and you're you're walking in tenths, kind of like a old school piano player. Um, and then there's times where you can go really old school and play like more of in a Freddie Green type of rhythmic role, or you can play mix it up, you know, rhythmic and uh, more interactive comping, like Jim Hall. And then sometimes it can be a total linear conversation. Um, and I, I had a great teacher growing up, so we would play duets. His name's Chet Cruley, veteran of the Fletcher Henderson bands of the early 1940s. Wow. In- incredible teacher. And so I, I played duets with him from you know, the age of 13 until 18. You know, I studied with him since I was six, but, you know, it's like started really seriously getting after jazz in that that time period. Um, And some of the guitar players that I've had a chance to play with in a duet capacity that are completely different in so many ways, but we're able to find a lot of common ground, whether it's Howard Alden... Peter Bernstein, John Stowell, Gene Bertensini. Probably Gene might be the guy that I have the longest playing history with. Um, trying to think some some other guitar players I love to play with. Uh, Don Thompson, um, which is another Mangione connection, right? What is? No, no, she's. Uh, John oh, Dawn, Newton. you said. Yeah, I'm Don, sorry, yeah. Don Thompson. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. D A W. Yes, yeah. sorry. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's great because she's she's a great singer. So it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun when um, sometimes I'm just the accompanist, you know, kind of like the you know Joe Pass Ella, and then she picks up her guitar and she's then we're back into a you know a different different capacity. Yeah, um, and you know, some of my amazing students. Gabe Condon, Alex Patrick, Ben Bishop. I mean, all, so many incredible players that, that I've, I've had pass through my studio that are just incredible. And, and they'll play completely different from what I do, but that's, that's cool. Yeah. It kind of makes, makes for a really interesting blend. What was it that grabbed you about jazz when you were first playing guitar? And pushed you in that direction as opposed to like playing in a rock. rock well, band. Y- you know what it was. Uh, I was always like like a couple of paces behind my brother because he's about seventeen months older, eighteen months older than me, and uh, so whatever he got into, I would get into. So when we were total like headbanging, you know, metal dudes, I was all about like Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden and just like. Just playing stuff that that made all the pictures on the walls go crooked in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had the most, like the raunchiest distortion pedals, and uh, some days I wish I could have those back because they come in handy for certain gigs. But but uh, yeah, I was into that, and then he started getting into more progressive stuff. You know, getting into you know groups like Yes, and then more um, progressive, more melodic pop groups like journey and then asia which was you know has that yes connection sure and then uh in in toto and and i I started you know things just got a whole lot more melodic and that you know there's that part of me that sort of resisted going there because it didn't have a hard enough edge to it and then i then i found sort of like a sort of a safe place with like jazz fusion shredders like al demiola and i was like yeah this is cool man it's power yeah but it's still under the umbrella of jazz and then then i i i started getting into stuff that had a lot more improvisation over chord changes um my parents took me to a maynard ferguson show and then they took us to a chuck mangione show and then it was like oh wow okay yeah this is this is really cool and then from there, we sort of, my brother and I sort of simultaneously went in a time machine back to the early 50s. And then we were, some days I think I'm still on that time machine. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's sort of like, for, for me, it's like, you know, the, the Barney Kessel, the early contemporary records. I'm, I'm like there. And then, you know, then fast forward like a, like a couple of years and then it's like, you know Clifford Brown and Harold Land and Max Roach and so there's there was a, a long period of time um, it, b- before CDs had even come out where we're just spinning LPs in the basement um, listening to the to the greats and trying to emulate what they're doing and was there a teacher or somebody even older than your brother or somebody who who was it who started yeah saying, it, was, it was check a, this out it was my teacher Chet Cruley. okay yeah it's like I, I think it was like every week or every two weeks for about a year he brought me a new LP to listen to one of the first ones 
he brought me. It was called Tal Farlow, Autumn in New York. Oh, yeah. Blew my mind. Completely blew my mind. And then after that, it was, you know, Barney Kessel Records, Jimmy Rainey and Stan Getz. Then it was, like, dazzling Johnny Smith solo recordings. And it just kept going and going and going. You know, Hank Garland with a 16-year-old Gary Burton on vibes, jazz winds from a new direction. And he just kept bringing me new stuff after new stuff. after, And, and I just kept getting more and more blown away by how amazing the language of jazz is and how diverse it is that, yeah, I could be, like, totally, like, you know, powering it up with with uh, Art Blakey, you know, listening to th- that that amazing band with Wayne Shorter and, and Freddie Hubbard and Curtis Fuller and Cedar Walton and Jimmy Merritt, and then I could put on, you know... Velvet guitar, you know George Van Epps or uh, Hank Garland, and it's just like it was. It was really neat. So he just he kept unloading things on me, and um, and then he would show me some transcriptions that he did of Johnny Smith and Wes Montgomery, and then basically showed me how you know you can step into the shoes of the great players, but if you really want to make a name for yourself and you want to do something special with this music, you have to make your own voice. You have to do it your own way. Because if you always sound like you're trying to sound like somebody else, you'll never really sound like anybody. And that, he, even, even through college, I would call him up. He's just like, man, you got to do your own thing. You got to do your own thing. And that's I, I tell that to my students. That's why I'll I'll say to them, I don't I wouldn't mind if you, you wind up in some other subsection of the music world that is not my ideal of how I like to present music as a jazz guitar trio. You know, as long as as long as you learn the language of the music and you learn um, good voice leading and you get a good feel, if you develop talents in areas that are that are not my specialties or expertise all the best you know because I'll, I'll be just as proud if you come up with your own voice and that's that's something as a teacher that I think I've evolved into because I think when I first started teaching it it's hard to it's hard to see that because mm-hmm. sometimes when you first start teaching you get really caught up in the nuts and bolts of what what is jazz what are the essential elements of jazz and how can you like convey that in a lesson at the same time you're trying to teach technique you're trying to teach reading you're trying to teach stylistic things you're trying to teach fretboard harmony it's it's very difficult to do um and and I I think as I've as I've gotten older I think I've become a lot more appreciative of students that maybe take the information that I'm giving them but they do something a little bit more on their own with it. Sure. Yeah.
How did you tell or gauge whether you were developing your own sound or your own voice? Listening to recordings. And sometimes it meant, you know, listening back to um, just a demo session that I would do. Um, we've got pretty cool recording facilities here at Eastman, but back then we do all of our demo sessions just on a... On a um, like a four track or something. Not even a four track, just like straight to cassette. Okay. And then eventually it was DAT. Sure. And then we'd back it up with cassette. Yeah. So that's 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 where <laughs> that's how <laughs> that's how cool it was back then, <laughs> because no students could really afford half inch tape. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we couldn't afford a reel of that. So yeah, I'd, I'd listen back, and sometimes I'd be horrified, and then sometimes I'd be pleasantly surprised. And then, then I started to realize, like, there would be nights of music. I'd get really down in myself. This is back when I was in college. I'd play, like, not even a bad chorus in an entire solo, but I'd play, like, one or two bad notes. And that would set me back emotionally for the rest of the night. And I'd still be pissed off the next day. And then... I kind of got beyond that. I realized that, that that negative energy prevents creativity from percolating. And so I, I kind of eased up on myself, and then things started to get better. And, and getting better at jazz is... I, you you kind of have to look at it like uh, um, an extremely, extremely conservative like financial plan or like you're looking for a five percent rate of return <laughs> right we're really doing great yeah at this stage you'll be able to retire when you're 114 <laughs> so so I, i'll say to my students if you, if you feel like you're getting like five percent better and you're doing different things every time you play that's pretty good and just that that really steady growth and it, it took me a long time to realize like because having played with amazing players like Chris Potter um, back when I was just a teenager we were in a um, this McDonald's all-american band program together and the young arts thing together and same with uh, pianist Ben Walzer and great drummer who's with Paul McCartney now Abe Laboreal jr mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, you know we, I was playing with these guys at this stuff and I'm like you know, and then you hear how, like, off the charts 
incredibly they, they played. I'm thinking like, man, yeah, I think this law school thing, that's, that's where I should go, you know, and, and do this for fun, if I can actually have fun at doing it, if I can someday do it well enough. Um, but, it, but in the end, I start, I'm, I'm glad I stuck with it because I feel like that gradual 5% eventually picked up to be more and more and more and more. And, you know, not, not that being 43 years old makes me feel like, you know, I'm over the hill or, you know, tumbling down to the, to the other side of uh, the halfway point of 80. <laughs> but I, I feel like when I go out on gigs now that I, I gauge a good night by, did I play something different? If I executed something really well that I may have already played before, that's not what this is about. But if I played something new rhythmically or melodically or harmonically, that's a good night. So I, to take it back to the, to the dark times of like really getting down on myself, I can't now. There's just, you know, there's, it, doesn't, it doesn't help you get better. And I try to tell that to my students and just say, you know, relish those moments where you have those, that, that 5% growth and then, and then those big aha moments when you, when you, you might not have more than a couple of them on a, on a gig or a concert, but if you do, that means that that something new and different adds to your palate. You know, it seems after the, I mean, thousands, tens of thousands of hours you must have spent playing a guitar so far in your life, yeah. that the fact that those moments could occur at all is kind of miraculous. Like the fact that there could be something new despite everything you've already played. Right. It's pretty amazing. It is. I mean, I, th I think it also speaks to the, um, you know, the voluminous amounts of jazz tunes that are out there. Cause as soon as you, you know, you maybe don't play giant steps for a little while and then you play it again. Um, and then you think back like to, you know, past, you know, four car pileups, you know, before you get to the second <laughs> half of the tune. <laughs> and then, and then like, you know, you know, I played the tune uh, a couple times during the jazz festival and it was like, it's like, oh man, it, fe it felt like, like a, you know, like my old baseball mitt that's all broken in. And it's like, some, sometimes like, you know, you can put stuff away for a while and then pick it back up and it feels great. And then, and then other times it, it can it can feel like oh man I better <laughs> I, I I'd better do some more laps in the pool before I try those pants on again. <laughs> you know? So to to make a long story short, it's like you know it's the 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 wide range of material in jazz. You know, there's so much that that can be a catalyst. Like just from playing a Bud Powell tune I haven't played in a little while, and then all of a sudden some of that melody comes out in a solo, but like a little bit rhythmically displaced or in a different key. Um, and I, th I think so much of jazz, you, when you're learning, you learn a lot by osmosis. Um, I always tell my students the story that there's a Barney Kessel live record of the jazz standard Just Friends, and everybody knows that tune and has played way too many choruses on that tune. And I remember one night I was playing that tune. I had that one of those, like, how did that just happen? He plays like, he would always play like these big, like, chordal 
shout choruses on tunes. Wes, same thing. Um, and and I just remembered this like you know this this Barney Kessel like chorded thing that I'd never practiced before, but I had heard it, and it just came out on on the gig on the spot. And so sometimes sometimes those things just they've they've entered the recesses of your brain. Sure. Just purely by listening to it so many times. Um, but the the one thing. I, I like is that you know when those moments happen, you punctuate it differently, and then you move somewhere else. And that's that's what I tell my students. It's like there's there's enough imitation in this music, so you know even if you do borrow some vocabulary, if you can find some ways to get to that idea and then release from that idea, doing something that's a little bit different, that's that's the way to go. As we uh, as we draw to a close, I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning, um, namely about the excellence of the rhythm section that you normally are a part of. Oh yeah, and it seems like you have another thing about living in this same city for so long is that you have been able to play with, uh, particularly I think of Mike, but certainly also Danny Vitale, Mike Melito on drums, for so long now that every time I hear you guys, I mean the connection is just. It's otherworldly. It's some, you can't get it any other way than the way you guys got it. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean those those guys are so good. I've I've played with Mike. Mike's the first guy that hired me for gigs in this town, and uh, the the relationship that we have, getting things um, dialed in to the point where somebody plays something and we accent with the same instinct not not over accented but just like just the right the right type of uh hit it's like it's there's nothing like it and it's 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 also really neat when we play in different situations if you know if we're playing organ trio maybe with you know pat bianchi or dino lacido or some other guys it's like gary versace um we we just have this incredible rhythmic relationship and a friendship too it's good to be friends with people you play with yeah 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 i really hate this guy but we play great together no (laughs) so we we get we get along so well rhythmically musically personally professionally and uh same with danny vitale i've I've been so blessed with rochester so incredibly blessed with incredible bass players barney mallon jeff campbell the late Bob Stata, Frank Polera, um, Ike Sturm, who's now you know down in New York City. Um, there's a young bass player that I love playing with now, who's here, Danny Zeman. Just incredible. I mean, and and Jeff just keeps bringing in great bass students. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, never at a loss for a good I bass know, player. I know. So when when people come to Rochester, they're Sometimes there's there's been times I won't mention names, but they'll think like, oh yeah, I'm playing with a local rhythm section, and it's sometimes I and, and it's it's been a, kind of a big name that I have not mentioned and I won't mention. Kind of was like overly instructive with us on a gig, like like we hadn't played Cherokee right. before, or you know, and kind of like talking to us like we're school kids and. 
And I'm just thinking to myself, man, I hope you can keep <laughs> yeah, up with that's us. Right. You, better, you better strap in. Son. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I will not speak. I will not say who it was. <laughs> uh, but man, you know, that kind of, it harkens back. I mean, the, the way that you guys have established this connection to the era that you were talking about listening to mm-hmm. on record when people oh, could actually man. do that because they played together all the time and for long periods of time. That's right. In this day and age, you know, that's harder to come by, certainly. It is. And you yeah. guys seem to have a really special thing that you've built here oh, with thanks. that band, I think. Yeah, it's just, I, I, sounds amazing. I do not take it for granted. Not at all. <laughs> well, my guest is uh, the great guitarist, Bob Snyder. It's such a pleasure, man. I, I love your playing. been a fan for as long as I've known you, and I'm really glad you came on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's just, it's great to see you again. Yeah, man. same yeah. here, man. music from the Snyder Brothers Band. Thanks to Bob Snyder for being on the show today. The album is The Brockton Beat. Thanks to the Respect Sextet, also from the Eastman School of Music, for the theme music to today's show. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the show's logo. And if you need a bio or a press release or a social media campaign, I hope you'll visit me at cranewrites.com. Cranewrites.com. Thanks so much for listening. Get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the jazz session. Bye. Bye.